page 929. I'd love you to have that book open. We're going to be digging into this book a little bit to try and get to grips with it. But I want to start with this idea, and I want us to be clear this afternoon. London is a great city. I mean, it is great in many, many ways. I mean, it is great in terms of its sheer size. It is a vast city with a vast number of people. But it is great in terms of its importance in the world, in terms of the center of power that there is at Westminster, the center of culture there is on the South Bank, the center of finance that there is. There's all this. London is a great city. And I reckon that many of us have enjoyed living in London. We enjoy being here. I know that sometimes it's not that great. I know that sometimes it's not that much fun. But there are things that we enjoy. There are galleries we can go to. There are parks we can walk in. There are shows we can see. There's music we can enjoy. There's food that we can eat. It's all here, right here. And I reckon that Borough Market is like a microcosm of that. All right there. Just a place that's buzzing with life and energy and, and joy. It's a great city. But there are times, aren't there, when the greatness is slightly exposed. And something happens that makes even a great city think. And perhaps even a great city begin to realize there are some things that are beyond us. Perhaps things that happen that make us feel our weakness, that make us feel vulnerable, that make us feel afraid. A great city, but not a perfect city. But even after last week, it was interesting. Didn't you see evidence of the greatness of this city? Haven't we heard talk of that as people gathered together, as people came out? Haven't you seen acts of great generosity, acts of great bravery? I mean, some of the stories of people who, attack, uh, uh, who, who went after the attackers, of people who put their lives in danger. We should celebrate that, right? People who came together. We should celebrate what a great city. And it's interesting because when things like last Saturday happen, the human response, and we saw it in Manchester, we see it in London, is sort of a kind of, we're going to come together. We're going to be defiant. There's a lot of that talk, isn't there? So the Ariana Grande concert last Saturday, uh, last Sunday evening, the One Love Manchester concert. What is that? That's humanity saying, we need to be together. We want to love one another. And there's something good about that, isn't there? The response to hate and violence is there's something in the human heart that says, no, we want to be together. And I want to say there's something good, something to to be affirmed, something to say yes. But this afternoon, I want to ask you this question. What if there's a better hope? What if... There is something even better than looking to one another for hope. What if this afternoon, just dream with me for a moment. What if there is a God in heaven, a God who is the great king, who loves this great city, and actually ultimately in whom we can find real hope? Because, you know, the reflection I had of watching the Ariana Grande concert was that it was, it was a moving thing. And this 
young 23-year-old pop star leads everyone in an act of human worship of humanity. And it is a great feeling. My guess is it felt great. But it doesn't last. And everyone goes back home. The high of that concert is gone. Everyone goes back to their ordinary life until another terrible thing happens. And then we all do it all again. And we go round the cycle and the same things are said and the same hashtag pray for London, hashtag pray for Manchester. Let's have a one love thing. Let's do it. Let's all get together. Let's feel wonderful. Wonderful. Look how great we are. So good. It's so good. Now we're back to our normal lives. It's just a, round and round and round we go. What if there's something more? It's what I want us to think about this afternoon. And I want to take you to another great city. And we know it's a great city because that's exactly how it's described in the Bible. If we can work out how God felt about this great city, which was called Nineveh, it will give us some clues about how God feels about our great city, London. So let's have a look with me um, at this book of Jonah. And we're going to just look at the last paragraph of the book. So from chapter 4 and verse 10. God is speaking to Jonah. Jonah's had a bit of a hissy fit. Jonah's been a little bit stroppy because he had this nice plant that grew that God gave him. And the plant gave him shade and that was nice because it was a hot day. Then God made the plant die. That made Jonah grumpy. But not just grumpy. uh, He says in verse 9, God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, I'm so angry I wish I were dead. I mean, Jonah is cross. He's cross about the plant. He's concerned about the plant. That's what bothers him. Why? Because the plant was nice. It made his life nice. It was good. It was about his comfort. Look what God says. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hands from their left and also many animals. Here is this amazing statement of God. What is God's view of Nineveh, this great city? He says, I'm concerned for it. I am concerned. Just get your head around that, right? I think we often imagine that God kind of sits in heaven and is fairly detached and he looks at the world and he says, oh, it's a shame things aren't going very well. No, no, this pictures a very different idea of God. A God who is concerned, and not just we, I think we use that word concerned like, I'm a bit concerned about that. It's kind of not a very extreme emotion. It's a kind of a mid, you know, I'm I'm not seriously bothered about it, but I'm concerned. That's not the word here. The word here is, extremely bothered. I am moved. God is taken up with a concern for this. It, it captures God's heart. God is passionately moved by the plight of this city of Nineveh. Now, I think that's really amazing to think that God would be that bothered about this city. Why? Okay, if we can understand why God's bothered about Nineveh, it will help us to understand whether God is bothered about London. God tells us why he's bothered. God tells us why he's concerned. Two reasons, you see them? 
I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to pull, do anything clever. I'm not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. I'm just trying to tell you what it says. Have a look down with me at verse 11. What are the two reasons? He's concerned about Nineveh because there, firstly, because there are so many people. That's why he's concerned. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people? God is concerned because of how many people are there. You see, it is people that matter to God. It is people that move God. That is the object of his desire and his passion and his concern. And there are 120,000 of them all in this city. So the city matters to God. And God is bothered about people because people are part of God's glorious creation. No, 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 they're not part. People are the pinnacle of God's glorious creation. When God made the world, don't worry about turning to it, but just listen to what he said when he made humanity. This is what he thinks. If if you're a human being this afternoon, uh, (laughs) I'm going to leave it to you. If you're a human being, this is what is true about you. Right? God created you in his own image. In the image of God, he created you. God is bothered about you because he made you in his image. God is bothered about people because in a very specific way, they bear God's, they are God's representative. They are God's likeness. In many ways, they're his children. That's what we say, isn't it, about, you know, you're, often people say, oh, you, you know, you bear the family likeness. That's the picture here. God in a very specific way. A hippo is terrific in many, many ways. I have nothing against hippos, and they do a wonderful job of swimming. And they don't even swim, they walk on the bottom, right? Anyway, hippos are great, but humans, people, bear God's image. So as God looks at Nineveh, what he sees is 120,000 image bearers of God. And it gets him. He's moved by it. He's captivated by the number of people who are there. Now, if that's true of Nineveh, how much must that be true of London? In London, there are over 8 million people who bear God's image. Do you not think God is concerned? Do you not think God's heart is moved as he sees this city? This is why God is so passionately committed to cities, because that's where there's a huge density of people. I was in Wales yesterday. Wales is beautiful. There are lots of sheep. There weren't many people. There were some, but it was great. And the people in Wales are lovely. We had a fantastic time. We were at Hanny and Ollie's wedding. It was a lot of fun. But there's more people in London. And therefore, God's concerned for London. I mean, he's concerned for Wales. But don't you see? But now we need to push this a little bit harder because I don't want you to be left thinking that God is concerned for people in a sort of, oh, look, the cute little people, there they are and they're having a hard time. No, that's not how God looks. That's like how we might look at a puppy. You know, we're, oh, it's so cute. 
I stayed in the house last night with a puppy and some people. But a, a, a puppy was there. And the puppy was, I'm told, cute. Um, <laughs> couldn't see it myself. But everybody else seemed to think, well, there was one other person who wasn't convinced either. But anyway, other people in the house thought the puppy was very, very cute. Oh, it's so cute. It's so lovely. And we talked to the puppy and we talked about the puppy and we spent the whole evening talking about the puppy. And I was like, enough of the puppy. I'm not, I am not concerned for the puppy. But this is not why God is concerned about London. God doesn't look at people and say, oh, they're just so cute. They're so lovely. I just find myself so attracted to them. No, look what God says. Come back to the very first verse of the book. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So let's not get the idea that God is looking at Nineveh and going, oh, these people are so lovely, I just find them so attractive, I just feel concerned. Actually, God says, no, they're wicked. He's concerned not for the lovely people, he's concerned for the wicked people. 120,000 people who bear his image, but are living as if he doesn't exist. Are living lives of wickedness. Living lives that are deserving of God's anger. And God is concerned. you see that? I think we've got to get that right about London. London is not an innocent city. London is a city where eight, over 8 million people live who bear God's image. And it's a city where there is great wickedness. The wickedness of not loving and adoring and worshipping God. The one whose image you bear. It may not be that I'm doing really, really nasty, nasty, evil things. But if, I'm igno- if I bear God's image and I shove him out of my life, can you not see that's wicked? That's what God says. So he looks at this city. He loves this city. The people bear his name. The people bear his image. And yet it's a wicked city. And there's 120,000 of them. That's, that's the first reason God's concerned. There's so many people. Do you know, it's very interesting. When Jesus walked this earth, Jesus, the eternal son of God, you see exactly the same thing. Do you know what really moved Jesus? Like Jesus didn't float through life kind of passive, like, oh, I'm not really moved by anything. Jesus was moved. He was like deeply moved. You know what moved him? says this, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Jesus' response to a crowd of people was to be moved by compassion. What's your response to a crowd of people? I find them irritating. Like, get out of my way. I'm the grumpy Londoner who walks along the South Bank and there's all these tourists going, oh, isn't this nice? <laughs> I'm like, get out of my way. This is my home. Move, move. I'm irritated. Jesus is moved by people because they bear God's image and there's wickedness. But there's something else. You see, there's something else here. Firstly, because there's so many people. But secondly, go back to verse 11. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? They don't know. 
They don't know about the God who's made them. They don't know God. They don't know how to live. They don't know that they're living wicked lives. They don't know. And it moves him. It it grabs God's compassion. I think we often use ignorance as um, as an excuse, don't we? You know, we walk on some grass and someone says, you can't walk on there. I'm sorry, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. The fact that Nineveh didn't know about God and didn't know how to worship him and didn't know him didn't make them innocent, did it? Because they were wicked. But it did move God. And God is concerned because we live in a city that by and large doesn't know him. Most people don't know. They don't know about Jesus. They don't know. They don't, they don't know their right hand from their left. I think most people, if you ask them, they're saying, I'm trying to live a good life. I'm trying to do the right thing. I want to live the right way. They don't know. And just as God was passionately moved over Nineveh, so he is over London. 120,000 people bearing his image, living wickedly, who don't know. Eight million people bearing his image, living wickedly, who don't know. I, I wonder this afternoon if you can capture anything of that heart. God is bothered about London. But his concern is different to mine. You see, sometimes I get concerned about things and I go, oh, I'm concerned about that. And then I turn the telly on and that's the end of that. <laughs> God's concern leads to action. So his concern leads to a very dramatic and very deliberate thing. Do you see what God does? What, what is his great concern? What's his plan for Nineveh? He's got a plan. He sends them a man. He sends them Jonah. That's what we saw back in verse 1. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah's not very keen, if you know the story at all. It doesn't matter if you don't, but if you do, you'll know that Jonah goes, I don't want to go there, they're wicked. I don't love them, I'm not interested in them. I'm going to run that way. So Jonah runs off, uh, ends up in a storm, in a fish, big fish, eats him, spits out, out he comes. God says, chapter 3, verse 1, look at it again. Chapter 3, verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. Jonah, it's you. You need to go. I'm sending you to Nineveh. This time, verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, right, this is the sermon, you ready? 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay, if I went out into the streets of London and said, This is a wicked city, and very soon God will judge it. God will destroy this city because of its wickedness. How does that rank on the kind of loving scale? Is that a loving message? Is that a loving thing to say? Wouldn't it be nicer to say, I've just come to affirm you. I've just come, Nineveh, I want to tell you how great you are. I want to tell you that God loves you. I want to tell you, Nineveh, that you are smashing. I don't, know, I don't think I'd use that word. It's not really a me word. Uh, I want to tell you that you'll... You know, why don't we have a... Let's have a concert to affirm how wonderful we all are. 
You see? Isn't that more loving? Doesn't that sound more loving? Okay, let me change the scenario. You're standing uh, in the middle of the road. And I shout at you, you're about to be destroyed by a bus. And you look at me and say, John, that's not loving. You know, that kind of makes me feel bad. I I don't want to hear that. Have you not got a better message for me? And I say, no, you're right. Where you're standing is lovely. It's a really good place to stand. You're standing, you're standing very, very superly well. Smashingly well. Just stay there. Come on, this is obvious, isn't it? The reason that God, the reason that I would say to you a bus is coming is not so that the bus will kill you. It's so that you do something. Why did God send Jonah to Nineveh? So they would do something. God's plan for this city that bore his image, that was wicked, that didn't know about it, his plan was to do something to save them. So he says, I'm going to send them a dramatic message. And he says, I'm going to send this message. It says, you're going to be destroyed. The point was not, therefore I'm going to destroy you. The point was, do something. Which is exactly what Nineveh did. Have a look at the next verse. This is the result of Nineveh's sermon. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. And they did something. They acknowledged their sin. They admitted that they'd done wrong. They admitted that they were wicked and they called out to God and they said, please forgive us. Please have mercy on us. They came to know God. That was God's plan. Jonah was grumpy about it. But it was God's plan. Because, Jonah, because God's heart is more compassionate than Jonah's. So what, so what about London? If that was the plan for Nineveh, what, was God's, what is God's plan for London? It's the same. His plan was to send a man. But this time, he didn't just send a reluctant Jonah. He sent a willing man. He sent a willing son of God whose name was Jesus. And Jesus came into this world. And I want you to turn to this verse because it's really important that you see this. I want you to turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 17. It's on page uh, 1066, which makes me happy. Uh, It's on page 1066. uh, John 3, 17. Let's just see this as as clear as day. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Why did God send Jesus into the world? Remember, just like Nineveh, just like London, the whole world is a world of people who bear God's image but who are wicked. What was God's plan? Was it to come and to judge, to condemn, to point the finger, to say, you wicked, wicked people, God wants to destroy you? No. God's plan for Nineveh was that they would turn and be saved. God's plan for London is that we would turn and be saved by this man, Jesus. Jesus came willingly into this world. Jesus preached this message. He preached the message of 
human wickedness and yet God's great love. And he called people to turn, turn away, turn away from your wickedness, turn to the God who loves you. And then in an act of extraordinary love, he demonstrated this message as powerful as he could. As he went to a cross, was nailed up and he died. And in his death, he said this. God loves you and he calls on you to turn to him. Jesus died and at his death, at that cross... The anger that should fall on me because of my wickedness was taken by him so that instead I might know God's love. Jesus took my place. Jesus stood in my place. He took my sin. He took my punishment so that I might come to know God. If you're looking for an affirming message of how wonderful you are, I'm really sorry you've come to the wrong place. If you're looking for a message that will actually give you life and hope and joy for all eternity. Welcome home. This is it. Because in Jesus, we find not an affirmation of us. We find a God who loves us despite our wickedness. And let me just go one step further before we finish. If you know that's true this afternoon... And for some of you, the first thing you need to know is that's true. You need to know God's love. And I want to call on you this afternoon to, to turn, to say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I, I, I want to know you. I want to know this love. If that's you, I'd love, you could do that this afternoon. But if you do know him, then here's the final step. What is the hope for London tomorrow morning? God sends you to go preach this message to London. How's London going to know? As we go and as we speak a message, not a message where we just affirm people, but a message where we speak the truth of the God who created us, the God who one day will judge this world, but the God who sent his son to save. We go to preach. God is concerned for London. He's so concerned that he wants you to go and tell him. So that's his concern. So this afternoon, let's, let's, let's wrap all this up. We see in God's attitude towards Nineveh a beautiful picture of his attitude towards London today. So this, as we respond, as we think of all that's happened, let's be confident that God is concerned for London. But let's recognize that it, his concern for London drove him to send Jesus. And let's go to Jesus. He's the hope of the world. Where else do we go? What else do we have to offer this world other than Jesus? So we're going to pray together now. And we're going to ask that God would help us to know this hope. And we're going to worship him for who he is and for his concern for this world. And then we're going to sing. Um, of his compassion. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we 
We thank you that you sent Jonah to Nineveh because you loved that city. You were concerned for that city and you wanted to not condemn it but to save that city. Thank you that you sent Jesus to this world, to London, to this place, because you're concerned for this world and you do not want to condemn this world but to save it. Oh, Father, please, we pray that we might know your compassion. Even this afternoon, that we might know again your care and love for this city. And Father, as we see Jesus, we pray that we might place all our hope in him. And that we might then take this hope to London. That this week we may have opportunity to speak of Jesus, the hope of the world, to a city that desperately needs him. We ask it in his precious name. Amen.